What's the best way to build a brand? Do you reveal it? Do you uncover it? Like you're peeling away the layers of an onion? Or do you build it from the pieces that you find around the company? Is it something more bottoms up grassroots where you're grabbing that authentic voice of the people? Or is it more top down where leadership has a lot to say about where the company's going and what the company's all about? In this, the eighth episode of The Brand Plan, Marcus and I don't even come close to answering that question. Instead, we unpack it. We look at the different sides and the different options so that you're better equipped when you're ready to have a strong employer brand conversation. You're listening to The Brand Plan, the podcast about the intersection of talent, brand, and strategy with your hosts, Marcus Body of 33 and James Ellis of Employer Brand Labs. Hey, Marcus. Hey, James. How's it going? Good. How's your week been? Uh, it's been good. We've had, uh, we've had an interesting week here. I've been uh, speaking at a, a seminar we had about um, uh, talking to inclusive audiences through our Unbox series of events, which has been, uh, that was a, a fun thing earlier in the week. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. You, you've got the series archives. I see articles uh, to pull out of. I love the framing and, and, and I'm coming from the outside, so I don't know all the thinking behind it. But as I'm as I'm reading it, it seems you know, and, and seeing it's like it's how to think beyond the box. How do you know, how do you pull DEI thinking outside this box, which I think is a Completely. great way of saying how do you unposterize it, how do you uncheck boxify it? And I think there's some really good stuff. So I highly recommend that anybody who's interested in the subject definitely check that out. Absolutely, and it, it's worth saying it's not just me. You actually get to hear some other 33 people as well. So that's that's a good thing too. <laughs> well, it, it balances out. It's a good mix. It's a good mix. <laughs> so this week, the subject we've kind of put forth is 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 complicated. It's messy. It's a little amorphous, strange, yeah. right? On this podcast, I, I, who who would have guessed it? But I want to couch it this way. So when I talk to other employer branders, talent acquisition leaders, HR people, people who are either thinking about developing or buying the development of an employer brand, people who are actively seeing, hey, how do I get from point A where I don't really have an employer brand to point B where I think I'll have an employer brand, it'll do me a lot of good, and we can talk about that at some point, um, that the, the way to cross that chasm, there's two paths. And the first path is this sense of, revelation. You're revealing something about the company that either everybody sees or everybody knows and simply crystallizes it, isolates it, amplifies it and says, that's the one thing you need to be known for. Alternatively, the brand development is something you build like an erector set or a kit or like Legos. You're like, okay, I'm going to take a thing that's the legal team set over here and the thing the, the founder wrote in the SEC filing over there and the thing and they glue it together and you kind of put it together and you click, click, click. And it's like, ah, it's this thing. It's like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And it's a, yeah. it almost is a brand new thing. So today let's talk about those two paths. If there's a third path, if there's a middle ground, and I suspect there's a, you know, call for in case for all of them. Uh, but that's really what the subject is. It's kind of like, call it development versus revelation. Completely. I think, I think it's a really worthwhile discussion and one where I think a lot of people get lost because they're not quite sure what they want to do. And I think, sometimes we we have ways of labeling these things that make it very clear how we feel about them so i think if you go right at one end of things you've got that one that revelation one where you're going to kind of say what is good right now and i quite often refer to this as the crowdsource dvp this is the one where we're going to ask everyone what do you like and you're going to mm -hmm. summarize that as best as you can and the advantage of that is it feels quite bottom up and, and you know when people feel good about this they'll call this the bottom-up evp 
because that, that's kind of what they're doing. They're crowdsourcing it. They're going, right, we're yep. going to ask everyone what they think and then we'll crystallize that. And there are lots of times when that's a good thing to do, but we'll get into some of the problems with it, I think, shortly. Yeah. The other one is where you go, right, we're not going to crowdsource it. We're going to declare a, a kind of a destination that is based on who we are as a business and say, that's a brilliant thing to be part of, isn't it? And you're going to sell it to people. And it's, it's more like a political manifesto. It's a, this is mm. the kind of employer we believe in being. And it's on purpose and it's deliberate. It's not the things that you happen to like. These are the things that we intended to be and, and who you, and, and it's more a kind of thing from the organization to employees and potential employees saying, this is what we've got on offer. And, you know, again, the people who don't like that will often call that a top down one because they want to dismiss it and go, oh, no, isn't bottom up much better. But actually, there are times when that is the right, absolutely definitely the right thing to do is to do that kind of declaration of we're doing this. Do you want to be part of that? Yeah. And, and I think that's really the way to think of it is, are you doing the best of what there is right now and, and kind of trying to capture that? Or are you doing the what you are trying to be and trying to capture that? And there are perfectly good reasons why you might go one way and you might, or perfectly good reasons why you might go the other way. I have done both types of EVPs and I've been very happy with both of them at the, that time for that client. I think what gets messy is if you're not sure which one you're doing, you'll probably yeah. end up doing neither. <laughs> yeah, and you end up kind of gluing two approaches together. And yeah. it, you feel like maybe it's a pincer movement. I'm doing top down and bottom up at the same time and I'll meet in the middle and you're like, eh, does that work? Yeah. I, I mean, but I, I, I'm sure it does work, but I feel like that's an opportunity for, there's more moving parts to go wrong. There's more opportunities yes. for you to kind of make a misstep and suddenly the whole thing falls apart. And to me, an employer branding project, initiative, whatever you want to call it, it is a delicate machine especially early on. One, nobody understands what the heck it is. Two, no one understands why it is or what it's supposed to be doing. Three, it's almost always inf informed or paid by someone over there, whether it's a leader I don't ever talk to or a, a, an exec who decided to get a, you know, they read an article and they decide it's a thing. It, it feels like it's a mess. And so getting the information you need to develop it and figuring out how to do so in a way that doesn't feel bothersome or irksome or onerous to people who are like, what is this garbage that, why am I in this meeting? Like that to me is the biggest the red flag of, if someone's having the thought of why am I in this meeting? I've made a funny turn and I need to kind of re rethink my steps. And if you have both Completely. approaches, you can mess, there's so many more ways to mess this up. But you get the same tension in other projects as well. You also get the same tension in a values project. Are we defining the values of what we do now? Are we defining the values of what we should be doing? You get the same thing in a competency framework project. Yep. Are we defining the competencies that people are getting on for or the ones that they should be getting on for? And, and this is there are all sorts of you know people projects where you get this tension of, are we talking about the best of what's right now or are we talking about where things should be? And, and whether that's an EVP project, a values project, a kind of behavior project, a culture project, you need to have that conversation about what, what's, what does kind of good look like. If you do the best of now thing, the question that gets asked later on in the project and the moment of panic comes when someone says, how do we future-proof this? Yeah. And the answer is, of course, because you built something so built in how things are right now, it isn't future-proof. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Versus the other one, if you've done the very future looking way of doing things and the where are we yeah. going things, then the question that gets asked near the end of the project that causes all sorts of problems is, yes, but is this authentic now? And yeah. the answer is, of course, it isn't entirely because it's about where we're going. It's not where things are right now. So there isn't a correct answer. I think yeah. there are 
certainly things that should steer you towards doing one rather than the other that you know are questions you can get into about your organization but yeah sometimes i think about it and, and i don't know if i mentioned this before i have this goofy theory where it's a little bit like a, an artificial coral reef. You drop these pylons and maybe some big old concrete pillars or some, you know, so I, I know in Miami, sometimes they drop school buses they've cleaned up. Right, just, yeah. You put them in the ocean to say, look, it's, it's a place to grab hold. So yes. to me, the pylon is that sense of this is where I want the intention. It's, this is where I want the brand to be. And then you allow it to exist such as the now shows up and says, ah, okay, of the 4,000 things I could be doing, of the 10,000 things I could say about this company, oh, you want us in that direction? Great. I'm going to start to filter. And it's almost bonsai tree-esque where you're trimming away the stuff that doesn't quite fit and you're reinforcing the growth of the stuff that does and slowly it evolves in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you, one of the things you'll notice that kind of, is a difference between the two different schools of EVP is one of them has some very predictable contents. The, the one about what people like now, mm-hmm. I can predict 80% of what yours is going to be. I could do a sort of Rorschach inkblot version of this yeah. that most companies would happily use. And it says something about training and development. It says something about teamwork and collaboration. It says something about inclusion and belonging. Mm-hmm. And it probably says something about impact. Yeah. And that's not wrong. Those are all important things at your organization. And those are the things that people like about jobs. And so if you ask your staff, what do you like about your job? Every, uh, you know, I often joke with clients, if you ask all of your people, if you do the really crowdsource thing and you say to everyone, what do you like about your job? I will eat my hat if the top answer is not, it's the people. Because it is, it's the answer that people give you when you say, what do you like about your job? Actually, even if that isn't true, even if actually what they really love about their job is their own kind of personal impact, because that sounds so massively egotistical to say that. They won't say that. They'll say the thing that makes them sound nice, which is, oh, I love the people I work with. And because they want you to like them, even when mm-hmm. you're running a focus group or even when it's an, a, you know, a survey that you, yeah. the, the person asking the question isn't even there in the room. People give the answer that they think they should give or that, that, that make, reflects well on them. Yeah. And so they're all going to say it's the people. Just while we're doing that. Yeah, well, because I think there's, there's, I think we should do a whole episode on this idea. But like, just <laughs> since we're sitting here, yeah, I I agree. That question of what do you like working here is the is it's just such a waste of time. What is your better replacement for that question? What's the thing you ask to get people beyond that? You need a comparative thing. So you need a uh, why should it always if there's an obvious competitor, why should someone work here rather than there? That's helpful. Is a much better question. Yeah. Because they'll go, oh, actually, it's about this. Because yeah. we've got people and they've got people. You can't say it's the people anymore. Or you might do. They might say, actually, it is the people. The people here behave completely differently to the people there because of X, Y, and Z. And so you yeah. might then uncover a better answer that started with it's the people. But because you've now drawn a comparison point, they now have to sort of justify their answer a little bit better. So it's, a, yeah. it's kind of better opening gambit. But even so, you know, this is always the problem with the crowdsourced bottom-up approach is that Mm -hmm. this is a new idea for everyone taking part in that. So they're going to come up with a lot of cliches because they don't know that they're cliches because they don't do this all the time. Yeah, they don't have a frame of reference. Yeah, they've had three jobs before. Yeah, they've had three jobs before. They don't know about the 20 million other businesses. They have no frame of reference. Exactly, exactly. Or, you know, some of them, their frame of reference is so hilariously, you know, bad, you know, they might have had a terrible previous employer, in which case, you know, there's like, what do I love about working here? Oh, I'm not being actually physically mistreated by my manager. Okay, that's great, but you're not going to put it in the EVP model. (laughs) And, and this is, 
this is always the problem when you go the crowdsource. The other thing you can get into problems with if you go the crowdsource bottom-up approach is they might say things that happen to be true, mm -hmm. but that aren't going to be true in the future. So they might go, oh, we love how decentralized this business is. And you go, oh dear, because I was talking to the yeah. leadership and they were talking to me about the efficiency project that's coming mm -hmm. in September. Mm -hmm. Oh dear, what everybody likes is definitely, you know, if we get the business plan right, isn't going to be true anymore. Yeah. Or it can be something that's just fantastically incidental, like the catering's brilliant. And you go, okay, the catering's brilliant. Are we going to put that in the EV field? You might do if there's nothing else I... to say. Actually, come yeah. and work here, the catering's fantastic. But you're going to have a problem getting that through the leadership. If you go to the leadership team and say, right, we've done a huge research project about why people want to work here, and the answer is the catering, the senior leadership are going to be very offended by that mm -hmm. answer, mm -hmm. and they might not sign it off, even if it's right. Even if it's so, right. And honestly, that's a good yeah. one because it's easy to ramp up. It's easy to amplify. It's easy to invest yep. in. It's easy to differentiate. Like on paper, it's got yep. legs. It's getting, It works. But yeah, you're right. To the leadership, they're like, wait, what, I built a company for for lunch what the heck was I, this? i've done a fantastically successful contact center campaign in the in, in the past where actually we knew our best selling point was that they had better car parking than any of the competitors right and we knew it was definitely a massive sell and we did yep. lean on it quite hard as hard as we could but without making it the headline of the ad because we didn't you can't do an ad you know an ad, massive ad campaign with a headline of we've got free car parking but we yeah. knew it was a pretty big motivating factor for all sorts of reasons yeah but i mean isn't that what a work from home campaign is it's the lack of community yeah. i mean that's that's 90 percent of it right there yeah yeah if you worked here you'd be home already it's that kind yeah. of thing <laughs> so yeah i mean i think the upside of it though the, the reason you know I've, i feel like i've done quite a lot of kicking of the bottom up so let's talk about what's good about the bottom up is yeah. getting that engagement and that involvement and and sometimes the answer is what else have you been doing recently and have yeah. you engaged with the workforce on anything and if you haven't engaged with your workforce for like five years in a meaningful way that might be a good reason to do a bottom-up thing is mm -hmm. simply as an engagement project and the fact that it happens to be to do with evps and employer branding is you know incidental to that it's yeah. gosh we haven't done a listening exercise in a long time whereas if you've just done a massive company-wide values project i'd say the last thing you want to do is say and now can everyone come back into a focus group to do something else it's going to go down really badly yeah if you say oh if you've had two massive consultation exercises this year especially if one of those was about something negative like a redundancy process or something the last yes. thing you want to do is then start consulting people again they won't play with it so you're no. not going to be able to do it that way and you're going to have to find a different way of doing it but yeah i mean it's there are perfectly good valid reasons to do that. Yeah, I find that invariably, I will run across what I refer to as the accidental poet. I will refer, right. I will run into and bump into this person who just says these things and they don't realize that they're throwing me gold. They don't realize yeah. that they've encapsulated these experiences and these perspectives in such a way that I'm like, I, like I was in a, when I was working in a biotech, I was somebody, you know, you ask the standard question, what's it like to work here? And they, and you usually expect the standard answer of, well, it's different every day. And their response actually was, well, every single day has a, has a incredibly high variance. And I went, well, gosh, just the language and choice of words yes. there speaks volumes of what this company is. And it creates yeah. that sense of this is how we're different, which ultimately is what we're trying to do. 
but you can still you can still achieve that with a kind of top down thing by doing some consultation with your model once you've got them. yeah so you can still go and get dig for that gold and i agree yeah. some of the best ones I've, i think one of my favorite ones i've ever had is i was doing some work years ago with johnson and johnson and we knew that they needed to say something about product quality they you know market leading products we are we are one of the the best at what we do in all sorts of fields and i was in a focus group full of finance staff in their uk headquarters mm-hmm. and we were talking about how we should phrase this thing because product quality sounds a bit boring yeah and this uh, accountant said yeah i mean i do believe in our products I, I remember i was delighted when i found out my grandma's knees were j and j and i thought wow that is you know actually i am grateful that my company's com- components are inside my grandparents that is an yeah. absolutely golden quote. End of, of end of meeting. Quality. You're done. Well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. And you know, this is why we also focus group finance and business services. They yeah. they they are opinions and have have opinions and are people too. And have amazing and, perspectives on this stuff that you know most people are like. Oh, I'm coding, or oh, I'm being a nurse, or I'm, yeah. I'm saving lives, or whatever that thing is. Coming from an operational point of view, it provides such a valuable perspective, and and the language yeah. around that perspective is always interesting. I think the thing that I always say about people who work in kind of business services things like finance, marketing, HR, all the, all the things that exist in every business is these people are interesting because they can work for anyone. True. They can go and work in healthcare. They can go and work in a, you know, an arms manufacturer. They can work at a candy company. They can, they can work in anything at all. There are jobs for these people and therefore why they've come to work for you is very interesting. Whereas the people who do what you do as a business, had fewer choices. They were already yeah. in your sector or somewhere close to it. So they have but a differently they, interesting thing. <laughs> they totally do. The challenge there is it's easy to over-index on that outsider perspective. And that's why yeah. I think so many pharma companies are all like, come work for us, we save lives and we innovate. You're like, yes, yes, that's every single pharma company. That's the reason why your legal team showed up because it's, it's like your choice was sue other people or save lives. I feel really good about this choice. If you're talking to a biochemist, their choice, no matter what they do, is save lives, assuming they don't go into arms manufacturer in a particularly legal, you know, illegal kind of way. And, and it's worth thinking through within your business how big are those populations, and, yeah. and therefore, I, I remember, you know, I, I've already mentioned before, years ago, I did a, an EVP for CERN, and you could easily get carried away with the particle physics and changing the laws of yes. physics. But I think it was about three percent of their workforce to physicists. Most yeah. of their workforce are the people who keep the thing running. So firemen and you know mechanics and people who like might find that vaguely interesting, but they're not going to do that. They're, they're, that's mm. not what their role is. And so it's really important to kind of think through what do we do. And as you say, like particularly any business that has a particularly benevolent kind of purpose, like healthcare and pharmaceuticals yeah. and education. It's very easy to run the ads that all of your competitors could run. Yes. It's safe. For kids. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's fine. But every single one of your competitors could say that it's not going to work Correct. against any of your competitors. Yeah. It's not wrong, but it's not going to help you very much. Yeah. We, I mean, that, that is why I bang the drum of it's not about showing why your company is good. It's about showing why your company is different to yes. find that differentiated value yeah. is the, is the crux of what we're trying to do. I will say getting back to the positives of a, of a bottom up kind of approach yep. is that it, it tends to smooth over the concerns that this stranger, a la you and I and other people who do this kind of work, is yep. trying to tell me 
how, why I work at my company, right? There's always yeah. that resistance of who are you? And I just delivered an employer brand two weeks ago and they're, they're, you know, I'm, I'm reading it out and they're like, oh, this is really good. This, this really sounds yeah. like us. I'm like, it should. I didn't write a word of this. <laughs> I just cherry picked <laughs> phrases from other people and stitched them together such as that this is actually a really clear narrative. You just are seeing it in bits and pieces and pockets. I'm just kind of bring, coalescing it together. Yes. Um, and it does make it feel like, yes, that sounds like us. There's that authentic, that grit of this is the reality. It feels like someone who's experienced the work where the top yes. down, you're, it's a different kind of beast. And you're, and honestly, the, the, the stakeholders you're trying to serve shift depending on the approach. If you're trying to do a bottom up, you have to make the bottom happy first. Otherwise, yeah. what are you doing? Your career site is a kind of litmus test for your entire talent strategy. It should pique the interest and engage the people you most want to hire. Does your career site connect your company to the people you are trying to attract? Is it tailored to what candidates want to learn and how they want to learn it? Have you even updated it in the last year or two? If it's time to rethink your career site and make it a more strategic element in your recruiting plan, stay tuned. I mean, the, the yeah, I think I think that's that's all true. I think there are ways you can do it with the top-down approach that kind of mitigate some of those those drawbacks. Mitigate, but, but not, you know, yeah. they're not starting there. Yeah, but I think the so let's let's start to do the segue towards the top-down one then. So I think there is one thing that if I hear it immediately makes me think there is going to be a huge problem with the bottom-down thing. Oh, and that's as soon as someone says the words change program, or new business plan, or if someone tells me fairly early on, our business is changing, right? Yeah. And that's happened to a, that's been a big thing in the last five years for very, very obvious reasons is we've gone into a project and said, shall we ask everyone what they like about working here? And the immediate answer has been, well, no, because what they liked about working here was the pre-COVID thing and that's not coming back and we have no intention of going back there. So even if that's why they joined us, it's not true now and it's never going to be true again or you know, the world has changed, we are moving on. So actually, that's not an option to ask people, what do you like now? Because their answer is going to be, it, it is inherently slightly backward looking. They will immediately yep. start thinking about why did I join? If something has <laughs> materially changed about your business since that happens, yeah, yeah. then you're in, you're in real trouble. Because actually what you end up codifying is why someone should have joined your company five years ago. Exactly. Not why they should be joining it now. And that immediately starts me thinking, right, we probably can't go at the very, very definitely. We can't go fully bottom up, yep. but quite possibly we can only go, you know, we'll, we will want to engage with the front line, but we'll need to have something first to show them mm -hmm. that says, mm -hmm. this is where the company's going. What do you like about that? Yeah. This is what the situation. we might be able to say in the future. How do you feel yeah. about that? Because otherwise what, what you'll actually end up doing is codifying yeah, like the, the, past. The, 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 the grief, the nostalgia for how things were. Yeah. And inevitably people, yeah, I talk to a lot of clients about this where they go, you know, oh, everybody thinks everything used to be better. And it's like, yeah, this happens to every client I work with. Everyone's every, convinced every everything company. was better five years ago. Mm -hmm. But part of that, especially for people who've been with you for a serious amount of time, so more than five years, what they're forgetting is they've become more senior. And as you become more senior, your job gets a bit more boring and a lot more meeting-y. And the job probably was more fun when you started. It was a lot less well-paid, but it was probably yeah. more fun when you started. Yeah. And everyone forgets that. 
and they'll go, oh, it used to be better in the old days. And it's like, no, there are probably still people at the bottom having fun. It's just you're not there anymore. On the upside, you've got a company car. So, <laughs> it, but people don't remember that, that yeah. that's, yeah. they have changed roles as well in that time. And I think that act of managing executive memory, for lack of yes. a better term, is part of this game because I've met, especially, now I deal a little more startup side. So, you know, I deal with a lot of owners who they still vividly remember the day yeah. they were three people. They still vividly yeah. remember. Like, look, let's be fair. Jeff Bezos loves to show that picture of him with a door yeah. on some sawhorses. Remember me? And you're like, yeah, dude, I don't know who that dude is because I've seen your picture now and I see yeah. how you live now. Those might as well have been two different universes, let alone two different lifetimes as a single person. And too many leaders still kind of have that fondness for how it used to be back when Completely. it was fun, to your point. And when you ask them to describe what they like about the company or where the company's going, you know, what, what they sh should we talk about the company? They are also describing a company of five years ago when it was fun Completely. for them, when it, when it was, you know, you know, exciting and, 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 and they, they could be kind of, you know, run and gun and kind of, you know, very yeah. agile and they can make the changes and pivot on a dime. That was fun for them because they were really excited. And now it's just, okay, how do we deal with the lawyers and how do we deal with it? Like, that's not as fun a job. And it's Completely. very hard to, disconnect that memory and say, great, put that in the book, put that in the video of the history of this company, because today and tomorrow, which is, by the way, why we're taking this top-down approach, where is this company going? So one of the things I do when, whenever I'm doing a more top-down one, where typically I'll start by saying, can I speak to the people who run your company? And, you know, whatever their job titles are, they might be partners, they might be managing directors, they might be, you know, it's that kind of level of people. I'll always ask them, right, who have you got on your workforce now? In the future, are you going to want more of the same people like that? Or is that changing? And, and is mm -hmm. the type of person you're going to get changing? So like a lot of clients I've worked with in the last five years, they've said, oh, yeah, no, we used to hire people who did this thing. Of course, in the future, that's going to be done by an AI. So I'm going yeah. to need people who do more of this kind of thing. And they're already thinking at that kind of level. And, mm -hmm. and it means, okay, so the, actually the, the EVP and the brand that we are going to build actually our internal audience isn't a great test base for it because they are some of them will make that transition but some of them won't and some of them are not going to be the right people in the future because the yeah. job itself is actually going to change so fundamentally as the business changes or you know i've worked with retailers where things were shifting massively to online even pre-covid and it's suddenly like okay so actually the kind of staff you need is no longer the person who's really good at being chatty in a store because they're not going to be in a store yeah they, yeah. <laughs> they might well be you know engaging with people through a digital chat where actually that banter is a lot less possible and a lot less kind of appropriate okay it's going to change fundamentally who you need to hire their personality type so yeah. the reasons that someone going to come and work for you are going to change as well okay we're going to have to do something a little bit speculative about where we're going yep. not codifying where we are now but um, the value the fun there is you get to say, okay, I see where we are now. You're telling yeah. me where you're going to be now. Now you've affected the, the EVP project is now a change management project. It's how exactly. we're getting from point yeah, A yeah. to point B in a way that most EVP employer brand projects don't have that kind of knowledge of its purpose and knowledge of a goal, right? Most employer yes. brand projects are, we need better people. We need a better kind of person, whatever that thing is. It's kind of amorphous, yes. kind of fuzzy, and you do really hard work to kind of apply some metrics to it. And we're going to talk about metrics soon, I know. Uh, not today. Just everybody calm down. <laughs> Stick around <laughs> with us. Metrics are future episodes, but they're coming. But to know that 
the brand is here to help you go from a company where it was all about let's hire chatty people and friendly people to a place where we're going to be a leaner, meaner company because we're now serving different audiences and we're building different things. Exactly. That puts the brand project in a different position. It really allows them to say, look, this isn't just about, because let's be fair, a lot of people treat employer brand as the, the lipstick you're putting on a pig, that it's more about, this is a fundamental change. This is how we're creating, yeah, yeah. this is the lever by which we make this fundamental change. And I think the challenge that many of you will have is, the same challenge that we have as consultants is the what you have and haven't got changes from business to business. And so... You know, certainly when I start working with a client where I know we're going to be in this kind of future territory, we have to fairly early on go, does anybody know that already within the business? Mm -hmm. Has there already been a future of work project? And if so, can we get the full report, not the summary, the whole thing? Has there already been some debate within the leadership team about what the future looks like? Do you know that or not? Is this going to be new to them? Actually, sometimes they might go, yep, actually, that's already been codified into a strategy. The strategy has been used to create a people plan. The people plan has been used to create a talent, a workforce planning thing. And right, you might be a long way down the line of knowing what the future looks like. Yeah. Or you might not. You might be very early on in that process, in which case you become part of that process. You, yeah. you become a significant part of that process of working out what the future of the business looks like. Um, and actually, that's much more fun, that project. That's, that, that is a kind of much more fundamentally interesting thing to do. And you can end up doing something really very important within your business if you are helping to codify, where are we going? What, what yeah. are we changing? You know, and how are we going to manage people and, and why? And what's, what's our intention there rather than just what happens to be the case right now? Yeah. And, and I, I think th that's, that's a very interesting project to do. Uh, and the yeah. EVP you end up with at the end of it becomes a lot more distinctive because it's it's around your business and your business plan rather than, you know, environmental stuff, which is true for every single one of your competitors. It is going yeah. to be a bit more specific. Yeah, I've never had that situation happen with myself. I know that as I deliver work, it yeah. starts those conversations, right? It, it, it's it's yeah. the spark that gets leadership and executives to say, is that where we're going to? Is that where we want yeah. to go? And in and, and where sometimes they see that brand as this is a interim solution to get us to a good spot where we can make better decisions and start to develop the foundation, yada, yada. I've never gotten to be part of those decisions. And I know that it, had I been in those decisions, you know, and they're, honestly, when I was in the agency side, which I think is interesting how our agency lives are different. Yeah, yeah. My, my thinking around agency was always, I was the guy with my nose pressed up against the glass, looking at that the leaders make these decisions. I'm like, <laughs> I can help you make these be decisions better, but you don't yeah. invite us in because agencies are expensive and they want to keep them on the outside. When in fact, the agencies have such great and outsiders and have such great perspective yes. to help inform or at least ask better questions to say, this may, you know, is this the right approach? Is this solving the problem you want to solve? Or is this just an article you read and thought this was kind of cool? I mean, it, it, it also hugely depends from business to business how likely that is to happen. So typically, if I'm working with a big consumer business, that doesn't tend to happen a lot. Because mm -hmm. if someone is participating in that conversation, it's their consumer brand agency who are yeah. playing that role. Um, Whereas, actually, it does happen when I have done it with clients. It's very often been in professional services. It's been management uh, consultancies, yes. law firms, and accountancy firms where there isn't a big branding and consumer agency clomping around doing that. And therefore, 
there is a space for someone to come in and help that conversation. And and people are huge to those businesses, you know, people are our most important asset is actually true for them. They don't have any other assets. They've got some computers (laughs) and a bunch of clever people. So (laughs) consultancies and, and, and similar sort of advisory businesses, that's where but I, but I also think this is something that's changed during the course of my career. You know, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, I wasn't invited into those meetings. Very rarely met the CEO. Now I'd say it's more often than not I'm speaking to the CEO as part of one of these projects. Yeah, I mean, I'd say comfortably. So it's possibly just, you know, since you left agencies, James, I think the world has, has changed a little. Also, let's be fair. Five years ago, you weren't you didn't have the title you have now and you didn't have the, the book of work to say, look at all these companies I've helped to yeah. support that. So in the same way as the executive remembers a time when it was more fun and now there are more boring meetings, you are also more boring meetings, but they happen to be with more important people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but this, you know, this you, notwithstanding, because this, no, that's not true. <laughs> no, but, I mean, these become really fundamentally interesting questions because, you, you know, you're talking to someone who runs a business and says, where yeah. is your industry going? What, where, where do you plan to be within that industry? Are you trying to maintain the position you've got? Are you going somewhere different? Why is your industry going to grow or shrink? And that, these are really interesting discussions, but yeah. all of them have implications for who you should hire and what you should Certainly. say to them. They, they are totally legitimate questions for you to be asking. And very often, no one's written it down. So you have to go and speak to the leadership. No one else is going to be able to give you that information. Yeah. Um, but you're always, even in this top-down approach, if you do this top-down world, at some point, you're still going to have to say, right, we've got an idea what it looks like. Now we have to go and show it to some real people. We're going to make it real. Because so far, it appeals to the senior execs, or at least it's what the senior execs think we should say. And they might be really on the money. Sometimes you have senior execs who absolutely understand the heartbeat yep. of the people who work for them. And sometimes you don't. And, and you're going to need to create a thing and go and show it to people and say, how does this sound? What of this is attractive? What of this isn't attractive? What of this is sometimes just like completely irrelevant? It's like, yeah, that's probably true, but I'm not in, you know, who, who cares? Where, where sometimes they will actually push back and go, that we don't believe and we are never going yep. to believe until it happens. So there's no point you talking about it until you've done it because we don't. Whereas sometimes they'll go, okay, that's not true now, but actually that does chime with what we heard at last year's town hall and what's happened. Okay, yeah, we'll believe you that you're going there. You can now make that promise because it's credible. Yeah. And it's back to that point of you need to make promises that are credible mm-hmm. rather than necessarily true. And, yeah. and, you know, a true promise that isn't credible is no good. A no, credible promise that isn't true yet is absolutely fine. As long, you know, yeah, as long, and as long as you're saying honestly, saying this is where we are going, not this is what is true right now. There's nothing yeah. immoral or dishonest happening there. It's um, a situation of the fish, fiction being making you think something and feel something more real than the nonfiction would, which is doesn't quite jive. Completely, completely. But you know, it's it's. I think it is a it is a sticky one, and for some of you, like you might start on one of these projects and not quite work out which one you need to do for the first month or two you might be going should we be doing bottom up should we be doing top down and you might need to sound things out yeah. to realize where you're going and you might need to go to your own bosses and and, and the people directly above you in the hierarchy because they yeah. might know things you don't and, and they might know about a change that's coming that you haven't been told about because you're not that's at that level yet so Sorry. it's a good conversation to have with them though and, and say but what yeah go ahead no i was just gonna say literally ask your HRD or whoever the most senior person you regularly interact with, are you, do you want me to codify how things are now or how things should be? Yeah. And that is a useful question to ask your senior stakeholders because if you do the wrong one, they won't approve it. No, totally. <laughs> Though I, I find that in-house people tend to be put into positions where that structural framework and structural framework of thought has already been mapped out for them. 
yeah. before the employer brander showed up. And I think that's yeah, unfair. Yeah. Usually yeah. you're like, hey, we've already decided this is a top down that the CEO is going to write the employer brand. Uh, yes. And I, I, have a, I have a friend of mine, and I will not name names because this is, you know, revealing too much. But um, they were interviewing for a company, a yeah. well-known company, and they said, we want you to be our employer brand owner. And she's incredibly successful. And she's been, worked for a number of companies and built their brand from the ground up. And she said, great. When, how do I build the brand? And they said, oh, we actually yeah. have an agency and they're delivering it next week. They hadn't hired her yet. So they were already bringing in. So they were asking her to just kind of move the pieces around yes. to make that brand real rather than develop that brand. There was so much yeah. kind of architecture around what that job was supposed to be. And it was a bad fit. It was never going to work. Very but often in-house people are just said, we think we know better about employer brand than you do, which isn't always the case. And we've kind of set things up. So this is the direction you're going to go. And it's very hard to kind of buck that pre-existing architecture around what the job and what the deliverable is going to be. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, even if it's not another agency, some of you are going to have that where you've succeeded someone in role and the person mm -hmm. in role got the project done and then left. Because it is a time when people leave jobs, right? If you've been doing yeah. a big all-consuming project, it comes to an end. That's very often the point at which you go, and I'm done, right, go yeah. somewhere else or, you yes. know, go off and have a career break or something like that. You do get people leaving, not because anything went horribly wrong, but just because it finished and it felt like a good time to do it. And yeah. you then come in and you have to pick up this thing that someone else made. Yeah. And it might be really good and it might not be. And how are you going to handle that? And you can always nudge it. You can always improve yeah. it. Put you might have to do it. so very carefully and very tactfully finding out how do people feel about this and can I move it tactfully without upsetting anyone and you know I've certainly had to do projects where I've been working on a new EVP with mm -hmm. one of my stakeholder group being the person who did it last time oh and you have to very carefully kind of yep. show some respect to what they did before mm -hmm. but explain why things something different needs to happen now because that person instinctively knows what they think the right answer is it's on a piece of paper over there yeah. they worked <laughs> so, it last year they built it like, it's good to go. Yeah, well exactly so unless unless there is a good reason that you can put forward and float about why things have moved on because mm -hmm. it's not really a sensible starting point to say yeah so when you got that wrong you've immediately kind of alienated that person and that's not a very good idea <laughs> yeah yeah though in employer brand there tends to be two different flavors of work there is the builder of brands and there are managers yeah. of brands i yes. tend to be in the the first camp and not the second yeah. camp but i know people who are incredibly good at being in that second camp and it's great really? to kind of hang out with them and kind of see their approach to it but I don't think people who hire employer branders can see the difference between those right. two people. I look very similar to that other person who is also an employer brand expert, even though they literally have never built a brand, they wouldn't know where to start. And all yes. I do is once I built it and kind of launch it, bye, I don't want to talk, you, you figure it out. I'll train you, but I'm out. What's the secret ingredient in a great career site? It isn't the photo or the headline. It's not the layout or the features. The secret to a great career site is that it is based on a strategy, one that takes advantage of a company's unique resources and presents it in a compelling package. Are you getting the strategy you need to build a great career site from your employer brand or recruitment marketing agency? If you'd like to learn more about how a strategy-focused approach leads to a better career site, check out the award-winning work from 33, with offices in New York, London, and Bristol.
I mean, a while ago, I, I remember years ago, I've been very flattered. I'd done an EVP for a client and then they said, oh, you know, would you be interested in coming and moving in house with us? And I sort of said to them, I'd be useless to you. That The reason yeah. I was a good builder is I, I'd be a nightmare for you because I'd want to yeah. run around and do things at headlong pace. And actually the bit where that needed to happen is done now. You need, yeah. you need a different person who's a lot more patient and a lot more kind of a whole different sort of personality type totally. to do the next bit well and that's definitely not me yeah. it could be someone else it could be someone else from an agency background but sure. it do, actually it doesn't have to be and it you know it that's where you've got a lot more people who are very experienced at moving around in-house from role to role picking up an employer brand that has been created and maximizing it and doing clever things with it and building on it and that's a brilliant skill set but not one yeah. i have it's I it's <laughs> yeah, and there are such different skill sets to employer yes. branding, and I have one or two of them, and I definitely don't have one or two or three yeah. or five of them. Um, I know people who are incredibly successful not because they can build a brand or because they can yeah. kind of structure or strategize it, but because they're so good at man maneuvering the politics of an organization. Completely. Everybody yeah. just wants to follow them and say, that's a great idea. Let's go do that. Yeah. I got to bang a drum and wear a chicken outfit half the time to get people to pay attention <laughs> to the work I'm doing because I'm yeah. so focused on what is the brand and how is this going to work. And that doesn't even take into consideration the management, the overarching development, the implementation, the localization. There's so many parts to this. And yeah, and I do that think that does inform what the job is, what the expectations are from clients and employers about what this thing is going to do. And I think, yeah. you know, at some point in a future episode, we can talk about the, the career pathing or at least the, the different jobs inside of employer branding. That might be a very interesting kind of topic of conversation. I think you just said a word there, though, that I think brings up another important topic about when you're thinking about this top down or bottom up thing, which is the localization word. And this this is really germane to like which way you're going to go about this and what are the implications of it. Yep. If you if you work for a very big, diverse business, doing the bottom up thing is very slow and very painful yes. and involves multiple different languages and might involve a lot of cost and it can get very complex to crowdsource from 42 different cultures in 18 different languages and how are you actually physically going to do that and it, it's very slow it's hard mm -hmm. and it can be done and you know i've certainly been part of projects where we have done that but it becomes logistically very difficult whereas the top down one tends to be easier at very big organizations it also then depends what are you working towards are you working towards an evp that everybody must stick to very rigidly mm -hmm. Yeah. Or are you not? Actually, in reality, you're going to end up with what I've started to call with a lot of clients. I started to call this thing an agile EVP, which is mm -hmm. we'll get as far as defining the big ideas yeah. and then stop. And then every localized area can then work out how to execute those big ideas. And they have a lot of freedom within that mm -hmm. framework, in which case you don't need to do the crowdsourcing thing early on. You can get that framework, that top level agile EVP together very, very quickly with the leadership. Yeah. And then allow, you know, Germany can talk about this theme in this language and Austria can talk about it in that language and Switzerland can talk. About it. They're all in German, but they can they can use a different word for collaboration if they like, because they can use the one that works best in their context. Yeah. And, and so if it's going to be a less pedantic framework, actually top down works very well because you can get to that common core very, very fast. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing bottom up across a big footprint or across lots of different business units, it can be really difficult to spot those yeah. common threads and tease it out because you might be dealing with 50 focus groups worth of data 
and a survey of 8,000 people and it becomes really yeah. difficult to do the crowdsourcing thing just just from yeah. a sort of logistical data processing point of view yeah although AI can help yeah, I, you know there are language what? processing programs that can help don't, you do don't, this don't, don't give away all our secrets <laughs> come on yeah but yeah. you know it, the, there are some really pragmatic reasons that might make you go right how are we going to go about doing this from a practical point of view because bottom-up can be quite slow and expensive versus top-down, which does have the advantage of speed and decisiveness. I take it another step further and say the bottom-up, especially in larger organizations, the challenge is fighting the mushy middle. It's yeah. what's a thing that we can all kind of agree on? Well, we can yeah, agree yeah, yeah. that puppies are cute, the sky is blue, and I guess that's the right. end of that yeah. list. I mean, watch people pick pizza toppings, and you'll understand how hard it is to get a hundred people, let alone a hundred thousand people to agree on things. Right. And so you end up on these boring kind of spaces, whereas a top-down approach can say, look, this isn't exactly right. This is a little bit, this is a little unconventional. This is a little imperfect, but this is singular. And that yeah. is interesting. And, and for, for people like us, way easier to turn into things, way easier to activate than fit. We're having to worry about how do I make 100,000 people happy, which is impossible, versus how do I take this singular idea from someone who clearly is going to be happy when I take it and run with it? How do I connect the dot downward? Completely. But also, I think there's a really important thing in there about are you going to try to create a thing that pleases everyone, in which case, yeah. bad luck, you're going to fail, yeah. or are you going to try and create something in which there are things that please everyone? Yes. That is a lot more doable. And I think that's where some people go wrong with EVP models is they go, oh, mm -hmm. someone didn't like this thing in pillar one sentence. Get three, rid of it. So we have to take it out. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's okay no, it's the if they stuff. didn't love that sentence. Was there another bit that they went, yeah, but that is why I work here. Yeah. That's okay. Cause you, you cannot possibly come up with a wording that, that speaks equally to everyone. There's a, there's a, Wonderful thing in, um, I, I read a while ago, it was actually, I ran across it through a Malcolm Gladwell podcast where he talks about, um, I think it's, it's uh, pasta sauce in the US and this guy who'd done some testing. I know testing. exactly what you're talking about. You know that the story? That was a great article. Yes. But, but it's a really interesting, so for, for people who haven't heard this story together, and James, correct me if I get the details wrong, there was a guy who was basically, he, he was a product testing guy, and he'd done all sorts of things. So he'd done, I think he did Diet Pepsi about how much sugar there should be in Diet yeah. Pepsi. And when he got the data back, of course, it turned out lots of people like lift different amounts of sugar in Diet Pepsi. And then years later, he was employed by a, a spaghetti sauce or pasta sauce company to yep. work out what is the best pasta sauce to have. And he looked at the data and eventually said, there isn't one, actually. No. There are three. Yeah. There are, there, some people like it plain, some people like it spicy, and some people like it chunky. And actually, if we make all three, we can please everyone. And I, I took this story really to heart because I think it applies completely to employer branding is... How do you become an employer of choice to everybody is actually you need to be an employer of choices. You need to be this kind of person for this kind of people, this kind of person, mm -hmm. for this kind of company for these kinds of people. And if you're, if you're a company, you can be more than one thing. That's yeah. okay. What you can't try and do is what is the stuff that we say that everybody finds palatable? Yeah. Because you'll end up with something incredibly bland. Now, the other side of that article was, if you remember, ketchup. Yeah. There is... Oh, yeah, yeah. 
a particular kind of ketchup where everybody goes, that's ketchup. And and even tiny deviations make people go, oh, like my wife to not bring in personal stuff. Like when restaurants go, and this is our hand, homemade, uh, you know, house-made ketchup, you're like, get it out of here. Bring the bottle. <laughs> we all are expecting. We know. And ketchup is one of those things where there is a singular idea and everybody gets it. So I await our, you feel free to await our co-written article, the employer brand ketchup versus spaghetti sauce debate. That. <laughs> That'll be a bar burner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's kind of it is kind of a bonkers idea when you sit down and go, you know, why should people work for our company? Yeah. Because obviously the answer can't be one thing, and and obviously the reason some people are joining you is going to be slightly different from the reason other people are joining you. But what you can't do is create the the ultimate answer that is that works for everyone. What you can do is create the toolkit of answers that are yeah. true of your business, but bits of it are more appealing to some groups than others. And you know, however you choose to structure that is fine. You know, a lot of yeah. people find the easiest way to do it is through some kind of pillar structure and maybe they do target value propositions, which will, well, this is the one aimed towards early talent. And this is the one aimed towards kind of, you know, mid career technologists. You know, you can end up tying yourself in knots trying to do too many of them. But you're going to need to end up with something that has some flex within it. Mm -hmm. And actually, the more flex it's got, the less you need to worry about someone didn't like this word. That's fine, because it's got plenty yeah. of flex within it. Sometimes we're not going to use that word. <laughs> and because the added ingredient that we're not talking about, we talked about it earlier, but we need to remind, remind here is time. Yeah. Right. Just because this is what you like today, that doesn't mean that's what you're going to like tomorrow. And as your Completely. as your workforce evolves, as your company evolves, there needs to be wiggle room to say, you know, I I showed up for X, I stay yeah. for Y. That's Completely. that is that is where that kind of multi-factor, multi-faceted approach to your brand really yes. pays off because people can come in through different doors, but then find different other reasons to kind of linger and hang out and be there for a long time. Complete. I mean, for, for most of you, things are going to change within a five year time frame. Right? Your business five? Is going to, yeah, I mean, quicker than that. But, you know, yeah. your business is going to have changed size significantly. It's going to have changed leadership significantly. Like, there's an awful lot of you. You can look at it. The easiest way to test this is look back five years. How different are you now from where you were five years ago? Yes. Let's assume that there's going to be that level of change again. Now, okay, we had a global pandemic in that. But we don't know if there could be there could be another one, right? It is entirely on the cards that we have another one. So yep. it's you can't ignore that possibility. But you know, look back five years and go, how different are we from them? And if the answer is we're very, very different, okay, you know you need to build something that is ready to change. Yes, there is modular, no flexible. Yeah, yep. Exactly. You don't want to build something robust. Because something robust is going to be out of date within three months. Yeah. 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 Before you even finish the project sometimes. Yeah. I've known some people spend two years creating their EVP. And I go, that sounds really rigorous. Yeah. But what it actually means is it was out of date before you launched it. Totally. Because the, the first bit of research you did isn't, you know, we can already see reasons why it's not right anymore. Because your yeah. business has changed in two years. So you can't have a process that takes two years unless... Yeah. You're a very unchanging business. And there are some unchanging organizations out there. Like particularly yeah. governmental institutions tend to Banks. change less. Yeah, there are some particularly regulated businesses where yes. change happens slower. Yeah. And therefore it might be okay. 
Um, but there are other others of you where you'll go, no, we're in an industry that changes so quickly. I mean, certainly advertising is a good example. If we, if we codified everything too heavily, it'll be wrong because advertising is going to change. It's definitely, we, I, I can absolutely guarantee you that in five years' time, 33 will have at least five people with job titles that I've never heard of now. Yeah. Because that's how our industry changes and it's very quick. You know, you re I'm sure you remember this, right? It's So there is no point us building anything very robust because it would be wrong quite quickly. Yeah. But some of you, that isn't true. You can have a slightly longer timeline, you know. When, when I'm dealing with sm smaller, smaller companies, startup type companies, I tend yeah. to approach it in terms of an iterative brand. It's like, look, this yeah. is going to be useful now like I, yes. one of the big kind of bugbears i fight is the sense of employer brand the value you won't see for five years like that tends to be this through line of thought and i'm like oh that's such a cop out that's such a great way to to charge people for work that you're like please don't measure it gotta go yeah and it, it, it'll, it'll be great in five years i'm sure i'll be around then to help you then and they, they take off and there's like a, a u-shaped hole in the wall um yes. i'm a big believer that editor iterative brand makes sense that there's a yeah. enough branding direction you can apply very quickly to make your yeah. job postings a little better to connect with your career yeah. site just minor changes in language minor changes in framework and as you get better and you go oh this plays this doesn't play oh i, I feel real comfortable with that Ooh, we yeah. attracted a certain kind of people by saying this it you know the iterative process tells you the brand should move in this direction and so it's not so much a top down bottom up it's simply a it, 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 the iterative process says i'm reacting to decisions being made Yes. Looking at the evidence, looking at the result and saying, ah, there's adjustments that can be made or, you know what, we found it, double down, triple down, let's go deep, let's go make this happen. But this is where, you know, some of you are going to be constrained by the culture of the business in which you work. So some, yeah. some companies are very comfortable with iterative processes. So, you know, I've just done an EVP for a global technology consultancy firm. They're very comfortable with iterative processes. That, that's, that's kind of how they live and breathe. That's the kind They're of work they do. Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. So the idea of I've done this thing, but it's not particularly pedantic because actually we're going to want to keep on iterating it and changing it. They're, yeah, sure, of course. Absolutely. Tick, 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 tick. Fine, fine, fine. Other, yeah. Others of you work in businesses that are very different to that and have a culture of like, you know, things must be rigorous and robust and test. You know, if you work in uh, retail banking, right, it's typically, you know, there is, there is a, for very good reasons, a lot of, you know, process and a lot of codification and writing things down. They're yeah. going to be less comfortable with that culturally as a business. So if you come to them with this idea of, hey, it'll all be agile and flexible, but it's fine. And we'll a bit of trial and error. No, there are some businesses that should not have trial and error. You know, <laughs> trial and error is a bad thing. In some, yeah, move yeah. fast and break things is wonderful in tech and it's not wonderful yes. in, you know, in other sectors. Though I will say, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's a bad idea. Um, but there, it's interesting, though, in companies where there's this kind of move fast and agile framework of thought, and I'm not yeah. specifically talking about meta in any particular way, but what happens is, is as companies get big, it's the communication channels and the rigor around the communication channels that almost dictate the speed of change. So if you've got a company where everybody's super autonomous and people can make lots of change, saying, I sent the email, I sent the Slack, everybody gets it. It's like, no, you've got you to plan for three months of messaging before people go, oh, there was a policy change in vacation planning? Got yes. it. Like it takes forever because everybody's all around. It's super, super messy. Whereas in a, in a company, whether it's tech or not tech, where you know when the CEO says X, everybody goes, got it, and they do it, well, shoot, you can change 12, 12 times a day knowing that everybody's working in lockstep because the communication channels are so uh, well embedded and used. Definitely, definitely. 
But actually, again, that triggers another useful thought about the top-down, bottom-up thing, which is, you know, let's Look at you about... keeping us back on topic. You just keep know, bringing it back. It's great. <laughs> no, but um, if you think about that leadership population and their involvement in the process, that can be quite critical in terms of getting credibility yes. for this thing. If we're going to tell everyone, we need you to say this in job ads, we need you to say this at job interviews, we need everybody on board here, that's kind of easier if the CEO is personally saying that or the founder, or someone they, they have heard of. It's a yeah. lot harder if that comes from someone they've never heard of. The recruiter. And even worse, someone they've never heard of with a job title, they don't even understand what it is. <laughs> You're really going to struggle to get that one in in certain businesses. Other businesses, you won't. So it's kind of like that, again, can be... So sometimes with businesses, one of the reasons we've done a top-down approach is to give it some credibility is... This comes from the leadership of this business. This is where we're going. It immediately has some credibility. Whether people like it or not is then a different thing. But it, no. it's not something that came out of HR or something that was done by someone quite junior. Whereas, you know, the counter argument is, you know, actually, if you've got a very strong culture of people who like really feel like they belong together, you know, the kind of company where they've come up with their own adjective is, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we, we are the, you know, so I suppose people at IBM might describe themselves as IBMers, yeah. and they've got a name for themselves, and there's quite a sort of name, right, so actually there's a strength there for saying, this came from your colleagues, because we know you like your colleagues. Yeah. But some businesses, that's not true, and they don't have that sense of identity, and and particularly things like um, very, uh, very distributed businesses like retailers, where I don't know the people in the other stores. I don't yeah. know if I like them. I don't know if they're like me. I've never met them. I've never interacted with them. The only time no I reason. hear from them is when they're complaining or they need something from me and other oh, pain. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you don't have that camaraderie across your business. So yeah. actually saying it's crowdsourced isn't giving it any credibility because I don't know the other people who work at my business. I've never interacted with them. I don't know that that's a good thing if you've asked everyone else this. So you've got to think through that bit as well is what, what's actually going to give this thing more credibility? Is it coming from the top or is it coming from their peers? Do you have any sense of how much they like their peers? Do you have any sense of how much they like the leadership? Or, you know, That's worth thinking through because it might change how you go about it. It certainly might change how you go about positioning it when you launch it and you know however you decide i think we we should certainly do a whole another episode on how do you launch one of these because that's a big topic that is a big topic launch one of these yeah, yeah exactly yeah. i love it well that that of course is a perfect segue to ending this week thanks so much marcus uh as always it's been an absolute pleasure likewise likewise it's a good topic well 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 thought of james <laughs> all right well, i'll see you next week absolutely Thanks for listening to The Brand Plan. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you'd spread the word.